the more you learn about how things work, the more you realize how willfully stupid and inefficient everybody is. And these are things from your job to driving on the road. People don't want to learn. And I get that. I get where that comes from and the flaws of the educational system. But you have the world's knowledge in your pocket. At some point, you just have to stop blaming your childhood for your willful ignorance. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. Uh, welcome in. Uh, it's always something. It's always something around here. Equipment problems, and I am on pace for a record-breaking night time-wise, so I'm going to fight through it, and I don't want to waste a lot of time explaining what it is. But the new phone isn't working as a source of audio. The old phone works just fine, but it's dead. And I'm piecing it together here for a few minutes while the other phone charges. This is a Stone on Air podcast. Hello, how are you? So I'm able to get it off the ground here just enough, and by the time I get to the audio of the show in the next, I don't know, 14 minutes from right now, there should be enough juice in the other phone to pick up where I left off and go from there. Computer's working fine, got out of work at a good time, everything's working. Oh, hell no, bro. Something's gonna, Something's got to give here. Something's got to break. And this is what happens when you don't have nice things like me. But that's how I make it through life. I, I, I work with hand-me-downs and leftovers. And, um, hell, the audio software I use for this show is damn near 20 years old. So, hey, in the end, I eventually, somehow, normally, make it work. All right, so enough of that. Uh, welcome in. Thanks for being here. Final show of November. I'm going to take next week off because I will be traveling for... Thanksgiving, I could fit a show in, and I guess if something were to just drop out of the sky here locally that was just too irresistible to go with, which I highly uh, doubt, see, unless Weston Womp tries to blow something up before uh, the, the holiday gets here, uh, I guess I could fit one in, but I very most likely will not. I'll be in Nashville at the end of the week, and actually looking forward to it. It'll be one of the first times my family has done a very much different, non-traditional style Thanksgiving. I think it's going to be awesome. I can't wait. And I will save all Thanksgiving thoughts to the final segment of the show, which will be, as I've labeled it here on my show sheet, Thanksgiving is the winter, quote-unquote, savior. I actually really enjoy uh, Thanksgiving, regardless of how it is uh, celebrated or presented. And why is there so much Christmas hate? Why is there so much hate on when Christmas, quote-unquote, does or does not start. That's always uh, baffled me a little bit for a holiday that so many people say they love so much. It is the season, right? Yet so many people are so angry about when it does or doesn't start. And I'd never really thought of it from a psychological standpoint and a, an emotional standpoint. And I read a few things that made me still think it's stupid, but <laughs> at least enough to maybe spend a couple minutes on in the final segment of the show. In the middle segment of the show, I was going to do more on big tech and the big losses that it's been taking uh, from the stock market and from layoffs from top to bottom, all of them. I watched a whole special on it on CNBC the other day, 
And all you got to do is just kind of blink and look around and see some headlines to know that that is true. That was the direction I was originally going to go. But then I stumbled on a podcast that was more um, focused towards the Twitter thing. And I'll, again, I'll save the buildup and the lead up to what it all is into the second segment of the show. But overall, it, are people finally tired of social media? Grown adults, I mean. I don't know what, quote unquote, influencers or young people, young Gen Z, I don't know what the hell they're up to, nor do I care. But the the rational, reasonable person who is in their midlife-ish, maybe 10 years behind me and 10 years in front of me, are we all collectively getting tired of this? And I think the answer might be yes. And I'll expand more on that in uh, the second segment of the show. So I am rolling. Things are working. It is just now 8.30. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If you're there, I love you. If you're real, I love you. Thank you so much. Everything's going well, except for this stupid thing with the audio and the phone. But other than that, everything's going well. The knee update. So if you're here every week, I did this show at four o'clock in the morning last week because I had hurt my knee and I had no idea how. And I told a story about how when I was considerably younger, 15 years ago, where I really messed myself up, all kinds of messed up on pills and alcohol, and I could have messed myself up really bad, potentially, maybe even fatally. Well, I kind of, I don't know if I exactly compared it to this, because at that moment, I was just, it was so fresh, it had just happened, and my my symptoms on my knee kept getting worse and worse. I mean, I could not walk on it, period. But I took some melatonin, Benadryl, and alcohol, and I had a complete blackout, and I still don't know what happened. All I can figure is, because I do have a history of sleepwalking, especially on Benadryl, is that I slept walk without any kind of recollection. Usually if I sleepwalk, I kind of wake up eventually in the middle of it. Usually anyway. It hasn't happened in a long time because I don't take Benadryl that much anymore. But I must have fallen in the middle of the night sleepwalking and then just hop back into bed or crawl back into bed and then woke up and basically couldn't walk for a day and a half. But I did go see... A doctor did all the tests, some treatments on it, and loaded up on Benadryl, or not Benadryl, on, um, on ibuprofen and Advil and all that, and I'm walking just fine. Still got a, a, a compression a, a sleeve on it, and it's still a little tender, but overall I can get around just fine. I've had so much, just mostly throwaway, but semi-interesting stuff. If I had a three-hour radio show today, I would have six plus seven, eight maybe segments of different content without even trying. You know, not not even having to put any hardly any effort into it. So I had to axe a lot of the stuff, and I wanted to go with things that were a little bit more uh, time sensitive. Uh, Trump is running again for the twenty twenty four race. Who didn't know that, or who didn't expect that? Anyway, we can expect also that cable news ratings will increase. The news channels are very happy about this, and I don't think it's going to be the same kind of phenomenon it was. What would have been now late twenty fifteen or mid twenty fifteen. And into 16 and then the next four years, I don't think you're going to see anything quite like that, but it definitely will increase. I thought this was hilarious. A lot of his old uh, publications and television stations and uh, podcasts and social medias that were big Trump backers are now kind of uh, pushing back a little bit. The New York Post, the headline, it wasn't a headline, it was at the bottom of the page, says Florida man makes announcement, page 26. That was what the headline or not headline, not even below the fold at the bottom of the page of the New York Post on Wednesday. So uh, I'm going to try to do this as quick as I can. This Carrie Lake uh, chickadee out in Arizona. Now, I've heard this name 
for a long time. I understood basically what she was. Upon further review, she looks like she's just a step below Tammy Faye Baker. She certainly looks like her. And she's a complete fraud, an absolute fraud. And the her loss for the governor's race of Arizona is a massive win for America on so many different levels. She is the perfect, absolute perfect example of the political entertainment industry and what it looks like now and even more so going forward. These are actors and actresses. This is not ideological thought. This is not service to, uh, to, to America. This isn't statesmen and stateswomen. These are actors and actresses trying to get positions of power and present and future financial gains, all at potentially the expense of our rights, of our freedoms, of our liberties, because they're just, these actors and actresses just go wherever the wind blows. And this is the perfect example of it. And you might be like, dude, we already knew this. Well, I didn't. I won't spend more than a couple of minutes here. Uh, this is just from the wiki page. Lake was a member of the Republican Party until November t- 2006, when she changed her registration to become an in- independent. She registered as a Democrat in 2008, the day after the Iowa Democratic presidential caucuses were won by Obama, the first real step in the uh, the election process. So she shifted her allegiance when she saw a potential winner that she could use to exploit whatever at that moment that she pretended to care about. Lake returned to being a Republican in 2012. She explained leaving the Republican Party as a reaction to the then ongoing Iraq and Afghanistan wars. She supported John Kerry in 2004, Obama in 08. She's made several donations to Democratic presidential candidates, and she was a Republican in the 90s, according to uh, to to the books and her uh, her registrations and some of her campaign donations. This is from a magazine called The Phoenix. I think it's like a news magazine kind of thing uh, out in Arizona. And she, this writer originally had a a one-on-one with Carrie Lake sometime in the last year and a half or so, and eventually she pulled out. Carrie Lake did, and she's this writer continued to still have the story just from a different perspective and not as an interview piece. Says, and I want to find out what exactly happened to her. How and why an elite Valley journalist seemingly planted a pipe bomb under her own career by moonlighting as a social media provocateur. How and why she transformed from an Obama-supporting Buddhist, more on the Buddhist part in a minute, in the words of one former colleague with friends in the arts and the LGBTQ communities into a far-right firebrand who regularly derides such groups at her rallies. It is, is it performance? A calculation? An authentic metamorphosis? Does she, really, does she really even want the job, that of the governorship? Ultimately, I'll uncover a thick vein of former co-workers and, and friends who wonder the exact same things. That was a comprehensive long piece. I got bored with it eventually. It is quite interesting, but it was just too long. Uh, yeah, the last line in her personal section of the Wikipedia page, which I did do several searches to make sure some jackass wasn't just changing the Wikipedia page. She was a practicing Buddhist 15, 25, whatever odd years ago, then transformed to Christianity. This dumb you-know-what just figures out whatever the latest trend is that's going to put her in any kind of uh, postured position that she needs for whatever reason, she's just going to do it. 
And I'm afraid there's a hell of a lot more of these. And this is a product of Trumpification of America. That's why precedents matter. That's why changing and removing and, and distorting precedents matter. That's why words matter. That's why your uh, demeanor matters. How you treat people and how you act matters if you are a person of high influence and power. And this idea that, oh, kids and young people are so influenced, that's absolutely true. Absolutely. But you know what's even more true? Everybody is. Most dullards walking around, like from the opening there. It's remarkable how stupid just about everybody is, and it includes every one of us. I mean, my smartest friends and smartest acquaintances might be a little bit removed from what I'm saying, but generally speaking, you just look around, you really dissect the situation around you. Almost nobody really knows what's going on. And it is so easy to get super excited about something when you're jaded, when you're tired, when you're bored, when you're feeling defeated, and all you have is a social media ding, ding, ding notification going off on your phone. This is how cult-like, scary movements can happen with people like her. She is one of the bad, bad people, and her loss in that governor's seat is good, good, good for all of America. That's all I have to say about that. And I want to get to this audio quickly, so I'm going to switch off, do the line change with the phone here in the next two minutes or so. I do want to just at least mention Exit In is closing. Uh, my friend uh, Chris Cobb and uh, all people involved with that, they're finally losing their battle with keeping this lease. The development company, AJ Capital Partners, they purchased uh, or they've owned the building. They're not renewing the lease. And in the end, he sold the uh, the exit in to what is ultimately a branch and extension of Live Nation. Uh, he tried everything he could do to buy the building, and that wouldn't go through. And the stories, uh, it's been going on now for a year or two. Uh, Cobb tells Axios, these are the last shows at, the, at this version of the exit in that anyone has known since Charlie Daniels and his group bought the venue in 1979, remodeled it into what it looks like today. Is it the last run of shows? I don't know the answer to that, and I don't know anyone who does. And it's the last run of shows as a traditional, real, old-school, great club that I am embarrassed to say I have never been to. I, it's just a circumstantial happenstance thing. I just never made it to a show at the Exit Inn, and I looked at the run of shows this week and into next because they close on Thanksgiving, and I was gonna, because I'm gonna be in Nashville. I was like, I'm gonna do everything I can to make it there, and the shows that are there are already sold out. I could get a hold of Chris; he'd probably squeeze me in, but I've got so much going on and travel and the family stuff. I'm just not gonna make it, and I mean, just sometimes you can't make it to every single show and um, every single venue. But I will I will go to my grave regretting that I never stepped foot inside of the original Exit Inn because I'm sure Live Nation will have a bastardized version of it sometime, somewhere in the near future, and I won't be patroning that place. Let me go grab my other phone. We'll get the audio. Hang tight. All right, and we're back. All right, so what do I got for you here today? I got three of them here. This one is the, I, I, what I might rename this entire segment is, um, or this portion of the, the show, I scroll TikTok so you don't have to, because that's primarily where all this comes from. I'm calling it the reasonable thing, blaming the bias media is um, something I've tended to fight against for forever and have kind of started to realize maybe it is okay. now. But this makes me think a little bit differently because of what he calls feedback loops. And after I heard this, it made perfect sense. This is today's reasonable thing. 
I don't like when people blame the media for the state of the media today. I very much believe that everything in society is a feedback loop and that if you're really unhappy with the state of the media, I think that the media is a good reflection for what people want to see. Because there is a room right now in the United States where somebody could start a company where all they do is completely factual reporting. They don't have a political slant and they're not giving you these like sensationalist narratives or stories and that media company would fail in two weeks because people don't want to see that. Generally, people really want to see the like, show me the guy that really believes in what I say, that calls the other guy an idiot, the guys that are screaming on TV or on the radio like this is what I really want. And people will engage in that and that feedback loop will continue for generations. And then all of a sudden people are like, why is the media so biased? Why is the media driving so many narratives? And it's like, well, what do you mean? This is exactly what you want to see. The institutions are very much a reflection of the population, at least in democratic societies. And I think that people very much try to elude the personal responsibility or the country's responsibility to why some of them look the way that they do. That is the most reasonable thing, just as I labeled it. Um, we want, or the, the news cycle, the media gives us what we want. This is why the news with Shepard Smith on CNBC the other day got canceled after two years, because it's not that. It's just a news source that people were bored with. They got 200,000 viewers a week uh, or a day. Bloomberg. You ever watch the Bloomberg channel? You'll fall asleep, die, kill yourself, You know, bang your head against the wall. It's so boring. No, the biased media, quote-unquote, is giving the biased public what they want. This is the realest thing. I know everybody isn't going to agree with it, but I certainly do. Listen, I truly don't think that men and women can be friends. If you have a relationship with somebody and you have a, the opposite sex as a friend, I call bullshit on you. I really do. One, if you are a female and you hang out with a guy, you're like, oh, I'm not attracted to him. He's just my friend. That's cool. 500,000%, I'm telling you right now, that man is not just in the friend zone for no reason. He is waiting for you to be sad, broken up with, whatever your situationship is, he's waiting, thinking, oh, there might be a slim chance and I have a chance. Now, if you're a male and you hang out with a girl and you're not attracted to her, but she's your friend, I guarantee you the reason that girl's hanging out with you is because she thinks that she has a tad bit of a chance. That there, There's no... Oh, we can just be friends and no chemistry. If you guys were friends and were both sexually attracted, you would hook up. So if you were best friends and already hooked up, that's a red flag. If you're friends and not have hooked up, one likes the other. Like, what the? <laughs> I know. Uh, I can think of people now who are going to be thinking, Brian, that's not true. You're dumb. And I get it's completely anecdotal for one person next. Maybe it makes me a jerk. Maybe it makes me a bad guy. I've never hung out with a female in my life except for maybe recently now that we've all settled into middle age where I wasn't just hoping eventually I'd sleep with her. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm a pig. Uh, I just I've always found it very odd that I cannot be a good close friend with a female because I'm generally always going to want to sleep with her. That's just how I've always been. Sorry. I don't know what to tell you. And the final one here is I'm running out of time. Today's worst idea. Iran's parliament just voted 227 to 63 in favor of executing all 15,000 protesters that they arrested. In case you weren't aware, there have been massive protests going on in Iran. And the reason for that is the country's morality police have been murdering women who violate the hijab laws, most notably Masa Amini. The country even turned off the internet in an attempt to get people to And so to stop this is all not it, true. Really uh, part of it is, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to talk over it. I want to get one more piece of it that continues to get more and more not true. And so many people retweeted it. And this is a pretty popular account on social media, not a news account. Here we go. Execute female prisoners that are virgins. 
so they're going to violate them before killing them to prevent them from going to heaven. Okay, so the whole thing is completely not true. Yes, there was the Iran uh, vote uh, on protesters. I think somebody did get sentenced to a death sentence of some kind, but this is saying 15,000 women are automatically going to be put to death. That's, you know, Holocaust style-ish. And um, not only that, but if they're virgins, they'll have to be raped first. And this person has hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers on TikTok and likely all the other social medias as well. Some of these other outlets that got it wrong, Justin Trudeau from Canada, the prime minister, he retweeted something about it, eventually later took it down and said he was sorry. This will never end. And it perfectly segues in to are we finally getting sick of this nonsense social media? I think maybe we are, but certainly not enough of us quickly enough anyway. Hey, tight. I'll be right back. Stone on air. We'll be right back. Oh, darling, what juicy gossip I have for our listeners. Stoneonair.com. Listen, so I know most of y'all aren't on Twitter, which is great. I'm proud of you, but it's going amazing over there. Like, here's the verified Eli Lilly account saying, wait a second, is profit-motivated medicine bad? And here's a verified account for Chiquita saying, we've just overthrown the government of Brazil. But don't worry, then later a verified account from Chiquita said, we apologize to those who've been served a misleading message from a fake Chiquita account. We have not overthrown a government since 1954. What else? Here's a verified Roblox account saying, we're adding sex to Roblox with adding misspelled. And of course, here's a verified Nestle account saying, we steal your water and sell it back to you, lol. It's going great. And now they've canceled Twitter Blue because Twitter is beholden to advertisers who are being publicly shamed. And when journalists reached out for comment, they learned that Twitter no longer has a communications department. Don't join Twitter to enjoy this dumpster fire. I will keep you updated. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. More on that in a minute. I was going to talk about the Taylor Swift mania a little on the front, but just no time. I was hearing this song all over TikTok, and it's me, hi, it's my fault or me, or whatever. And I was like, what is this song? Oh, it just turns out it's a 220 million downloaded new song from Taylor Swift. And it is remarkable how really this this woman just really churns and burns the most catchiest songs one after another after another I, I I mean it's Tom Petty like but almost Tom Petty wasn't a pop star an international pop star at least not to the level Taylor Swift is give her a pen and a guitar and a studio and she makes I'm not saying I like it necessarily but it's so freaking catchy it's She's also kind of singing with a fake British accent, it sounds like. Problem? I'm the problem? Whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, just un- unbelievable amounts of downloads and, and, and however they calculate those numbers, but you already likely know most about that at this point. So, I have never, there, at least not to my knowledge, I'm sure I have and I just don't remember, but generally speaking, if I hear a podcast promo on a, another podcast I'm listening to or on a, a, a run on a radio show, which those are, those are now run pretty regularly, I rarely jot it down or think about it or even care at all or even listen. 
usually I skip commercials. But I this one caught my ear just ever so slightly. It was a it was just interesting enough to rewind it, listen to it again, and then I went and looked it up and I pulled some audio from one of the uh, shows that this dude did because I um I was already planning on going down that direction anyway. It was kind of serendipitous overall. Let me play you that promo real quick just so you get an idea of uh, what that sounded like. And I got to turn that off first. Sorry about that. And then we'll do that right there. My name is Joshua Topolsky, and I have a new podcast called What Future? But I want to tell you that I'm being forced by my producer to record a promo telling you about my show, and I'm not trying to force you to listen to it, and maybe you're not interested in the kinds of things that I'm going to be discussing on this show, like internet culture and the future of life on planet Earth and where technology is taking us and you know why John Carpenter movies are so good. Those may be things you're not interested in. You may just want to listen to a podcast about, I don't know, sports or whatever Joe Rogan talks about. And that's fine. You know, no judgment. But if you do want to listen to a podcast about really interesting topics concerning your life on planet Earth now and tomorrow, then, you know, you could try my podcast. You can listen to all of What Future on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And so while I don't believe that that was like, oh, my producer's making me do this, I believe that was a uh, an act, a shtick, and that's fine. But it did catch my ear. And so I went to one of his shows, and one was talking about um, being, are, are we fine, is attrition, if nothing else, pulling people away from, primarily Twitter is the reason for this conversation, but social media in general are, Adults are people who are in their mid-30s, mid-40s, into the mid-50s, people who have grown up from their early adulthood to their middle to later adulthood with this social media so uh, prevalent in, in, in our lives. Are, are we finally starting to get away from it? And this isn't that typical stuff, oh, Eli, if Elon Musk buys Twitter, I'm leaving, damn it. And then, you know, they leave for like a week and then they come back. Um, all that kind of nonsense that those trends of, oh, well, I'm out here like I'm leaving the country if Trump gets elected, all this bullshit, all that not real stuff. That's not the the reason for this conversation that he was going to have with um, this lady who I'll talk more about as it gets closer. Plus, if I have time, hopefully, because the, the clock is flying on me today, um, I have a bunch of these fake Twitter accounts and some pretty funny ones, at least two or three that are very funny that I printed off from this ver new verification program that has been uh, since shelved because Elon Musk really doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, it's one thing to have a car company. It's another thing to have a let's go to space company. And it's another thing to run the I, arguably second or third biggest social medias in the world. All right. I mean, just because you're great at a couple of things, and I think it might be debatable how great he is at everything he does. He tends to buy things and then just build on top of them. He's not as much the inventor and creator as he gets credit for, but I'll move away from that. It's two two or three, 500 completely different things. Quite clear he doesn't know what he's doing, and I'm longtime champion of Twitter, not so much anymore. So this dude, I'm guessing, is probably in his mid-30s. His name's Joshua uh, Tulubisky. I probably got that wrong. Uh, he was he's one of the founders of Vice Media and a couple other uh, 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 online media social kind of uh, creations over the last 15 years he's had his hands in. So he he's pretty good at this stuff and he's probably all as far as tech stuff. And I'm sure he's pretty much grown up his entire life 
with social media. And uh, we'll just jump right into his show. This is uh, him talking about what is Elon Musk doing with Twitter. In the few days that Elon Musk has owned Twitter, it's very obvious that one, he doesn't know what to do with it. And that two, whatever he does with it is probably going to be dumb and bad. And three, he'll be blamed for all of it by his critics and loved for it by his fans. So this sort of culminates with some story that he's going to start charging people for blue check marks. So the idea that like, what will it be like when Elon Musk owns Twitter is like quickly coming into focus, right? I'm pretty sure this show was from about three weeks ago, maybe almost a month ago. So it's a touch dated at that point. Um, he has he hadn't rolled out the $8 a month for verification Twitter blue thing, which I don't know how anybody thought was a good idea in Elon Musk's orbit. I'm just guessing he's so powerful that um, there isn't anybody in his orbit that's going to tell him that what he's doing isn't a good idea. My guess is that's the case. But just so you know where we stand on that. Um, but clearly, Elon Musk is over his head right now with this uh, with this social media. Uh, is the end of Twitter near? So, you know, it's it's sort of like watching the end of Twitter to me in real time. And I've like talked about it and I've written about the end of Twitter in a, uh, over the years because I think it's always been a social network that's kind of the most on life support of all of the social networks in the sense that it never really found its stride. Its best moments are kind of the worst moments, right? Like for Twitter, the biggest it's ever been is when Donald Trump was tweeting like a maniac on Twitter. I said before, it's like the comment section for all of the content everywhere on the internet. And that is really what it feels like. So in 2016, I had a meeting with these uh, younger dudes. Some of them became my friends. Most all of them became my acquaintances and in some ways colleagues. But they had this cockamamie idea called under Underground. And it won the Will This Float competition in 2015, a competition I was in, by the way, to launch this platform in a completely different setting. My God, that was seven years ago. Anyway, I um, met up with them at a meeting that they had put together, um, just a brainstorming kind of thing. And at the time, I said to who I don't remember, you know, they were talking about different social medias and the and the, the most traction they were getting. And I was a super Twitter fan then, and I was, and it was just like the con the, the the overall conversation for a short period of time was Twitter's dead. Twitter's not growing. Twitter's not getting better. And certainly here in the city of Chattanooga, it has no traction whatsoever. Instagram was starting to take off at the time. Facebook was holding its own. And I remember thinking, what in the hell is going on? Twitter is dying. And that was in 2016 that that conversation was taking place amongst young people. Keep in mind, I was very likely the oldest person in the room. And I like he I didn't able to get the uh, part that he was talking about earlier that Twitter is basically just the comment section for the entire Internet. That's a perfect way to put it. And how many comment sections do you want to spend a whole lot of time in? Or threads? Eh, not really hardly any of them. Um, it does feel like most people, adults anyway, seem to want their distance from not just Twitter, potentially all social media. You know, if anything, as I look at what is happening with Twitter in this post-pandemic world, in this like very online world where everybody feels, I think, increasingly this desire for distance from the discourse, like distance from the always online state that we have lived in. I see a kind of logical conclusion in the Twitter purchase, in Elon Musk owning it, which is that 
everything he's done thus far in the short period of time has been a signal that the people who really like to use it are going to leave or are going to not enjoy it and want to leave. And I think that's already happening. It's just reasonable people are tired of this wasteland and tired of feeling like you're having to defuse a bomb every time you open up a social media and we're just tired of it. Here's some numbers from Vice that show who and how many people are doing what they are or are not doing. They're interesting. And in fact, there was a report a week or two ago that Vice had that the super users of Twitter, which is at like 10% of the users who create 90% of the content that most people are interacting with on Twitter, are already, there's already attrition there. They're already leaving. And it's not that they're going somewhere else. I think there's an entire generation of people who've used this thing that just don't want to be anywhere at all right now. They don't want to be online. They don't want to be in constant arguments with random people on the internet. They don't see a utility in trying to make their point in a sort of black hole of opinion where ideas go to die, which is sort of what Twitter is. Yeah, and this is certainly not one of those, I'm leaving Twitter and I'm going to Parler, or I'm now going to Truth Social where my voice can be heard and there's not, uh, uh, this First Amendment is not trampled on. And it's not like that that you see the war out there amongst the people who say they don't want to be there, but they actually do. The person who says that it's toxic to them, but they won't leave. That, uh, you know, bad boyfriend, toxic girlfriend thing, you just will never leave it. He's talking about the more reasonable people. And keep in mind, too, that this whole podcast of his, of dude named Josh Topolsky, uh, is is that he's going to have a guest on here who you'll hear briefly from about how people in this age group are pulling away. Not switching and changing, just pulling away. Where are we at here? Uh, fifth one. Uh, yeah, the guy just sounds like a younger version of me at this point. I'm one of these people. I used to tweet all the time. I was tweeting constantly until a few years ago, and then it sort of slowly ebbed away. And more and more, like I'll sit down, I'll open Twitter, I'll look at it, I'll even maybe write a tweet about something or read about to. I'm about to retweet something or comment on something that somebody said, and then I just think, what's the fucking point? You know, what's the point? Like I'm yelling into the void, they're yelling into the void, and nothing good is going to come of it. There is no point. Most. Of the time. Social media can still be used for good. There's no doubt, but you got to have some damn, damn good uh, self control, which most people, especially adult children, do not have. In the second to last one here, uh, he's talking about the phases of social media. I never really quite looked at this. Version V1, I'm guessing he means it. Version 1, V2, he believes is where we're phasing out of currently. You know, as I'm sort of contemplating the end of this era, which is a post V2 social media. Like I'd say like Facebook and Twitter are kind of V2. If MySpace and, and Friendster are V1 of social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter are sort of V2. And the sort of like post V2 world that we're going to live in. In thinking about all of this stuff and in thinking about the ramifications of not just Twitter, but this era of social media kind of coming to a close. You know, I thought about people that I know and that I've observed who've actually maybe lived this and really thought about it. And I started thinking about Gia Tolentino. And Gia Tolentino is a uh, writer from the New Yorker currently, previously at Jezebel, the New York Times Magazine, Pitchfork, which I'm very well familiar with, and um, in her mid-30s, it would appear. And so what he does on his show is has a whole, like, half of the show is him setting up the thoughts 
his reasoning for having a guest and the reasoning for the conversation. And then the second half of the show is having the person on. And what she basically is doing as a super involved millennial involved in opinion and real media, traditional media and online new media she has limited her use of many social medias within some reason. I guess through work, she's still going to have to a little bit and was the impetus for this conversation. And here's just one clip from her. Give me about 60 seconds. It's G- Gia Tolatino. It's a little more personal in this respect because I had had several sort of shifts in my attentional priorities, kind of both intentional and not. And I had written about Internet ephemera a lot. I'd written about fucking memes, you know, like I was just writing about garbage all the time because I loved having my face in garbage all day, you know. <laughs> and then, you know, as soon as COVID started and my face was in nothing but garbage all day and I didn't have this vibrant rough around the edges, just normal life, you know, to loom much larger than the internet every time I, you know, put down my phone. I stopped being interested in internet ephemera. I stopped being interested to see if I could write 1100 words about what some bullshit thing that a bunch of teenagers were saying could mean about whatever, you know, like I, I couldn't write that kind of piece anymore. And I had always blocked out a lot of things. I had always right. taken a lot of pleasure in just not learning about something that it didn't seem like I needed to know about. I, I think that one of the brain diseases that Twitter gives people is the idea that they need to have an opinion on everything where you're like, what does right. this mean about this? It's like sometimes shit doesn't have to mean shit about shit and you can just, you know, like <laughs> read a book <laughs> the tw- sorry for that bad edit read a book uh yeah the twitter brain disease so i th- was pleasantly surprised with that conversation even though it still was just a boring podcast of two people talking to each other this is from the washington post elon musk issued an ultimatum on twitter uh, to twitter employees wednesday so this is literally just yesterday uh, commit to a new hardcore quote unquote twitter or leave the company with severance pay the email said portions of it will need to be extremely hardcore going forward this will mean working long hours at high intensity only exceptional performance will constitute a passing grade the pledge email paired with a new policy mandating a return to the office is expected to lead to even more attrition at the companies whose staff had been already reduced by half it also comes as musk says he is tabling twitter blue verified his first major product since taking over last month as Twitter's CEO and owner, while the company sorts out issues with the feature following botched rollout. And there's so many angles of what's been going on so poorly here that I'm not going to waste any more time talking about. But the the verified deal checkmark thing, which was really one of the, the uh, really redeeming qualities of Twitter, was the checkmark verification. It gave a lot of... Uh, it, 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 the integrity of the of the app of the social media of the medium was there because of that verification process, and it's very difficult to be verified. And then all of a sudden, now he's just selling it. He's just selling a check, a blue check for eight bucks. What could possibly go wrong? Oh, I don't know. How about this? Someone starts a George W. Bush account that gets automatically verified. Says, "I miss killing Iraqis." Frowny face. Um. Then a little bit later on, there's one, a fake Tony Blair, of course, f- former prime minister of, uh, of the UK, fake account says on a quote tweet, same to be honest, TBH, same to I miss killing Iraqis. Uh, President Biden says, I'm over here stroking my dick. I got lotion on my dick RN, which is... Z and Millennial Talk for right now. 
Uh, OJ Simpson verified account says, yeah, I'm NGL. I did that shit. Once again, abbreviations, not gonna lie. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I did that shit. Dave Chappelle, trans women are women. No longer team turf, y'all. There was a fake Twitter account that says, whoa, now Twitter Blue is available for free. Elon Musk says, all fake accounts that are verified checkmarked. Starting today, we'll begin offering Twitter Gold, a free subscription that gets you yearly family vacations and nightly dinners with me. If your name is Grimes, please come back. I love you. I don't even know what that means. And then I'm way getting out of time here. Rudy Giuliani, checkmark account. Helen Keller is a dusty, fraudulent bitch pushed on us by globalist media. Yeah, things are going really well in the Twitterverse, and that's that part's funny. <laughs> that part I like. But big tech is in a lot of trouble. Their uh, ascension, their trajectories, their growth has hit a stall, and they're all falling back, back backwards. And guess what? That's kind of where everything's going. Yep, long past time for a recession. I'm not rooting for one, but the historical data, the historical uh, charts say we're way overdue for one. Hold on in everything in life. You ain't seen nothing yet. Why does everybody hate early Christmas or creeping Christmas as they call it? And Thanksgiving really is the savior of the wintertime. I'll dive into both coming up next. I'll go ahead and make sure you get another copy of that memo. I am so glad we invited the Chippewas to join us for this holiday meal. Remember, these savages are our guests. We must not be surprised at any of their strange customs. How? I am Pocahontas, a Chippewa maiden. Welcome to our table, our new primitive friends. Thank you, Sir Miller. You're the most beautiful person I've ever seen. Your hair is the color of the sun. Your skin is like fresh milk. And everyone loves you. Stop! Sit! Wait. What? We cannot break bread with you. You have taken the land which is rightfully ours. Years from now, my people will be forced to live in mobile homes, on reservations. Your people will wear cardigans and drink highballs. We will sell our bracelets by the roadsides. You will play golf and enjoy hot hors d'oeuvres. My people will have pain and degradation. Your people will have stick shifts. The gods of my tribe have spoken. They have said, do not trust the pilgrims. And for all these reasons, I've decided to scalp you and burn your village to the ground. Wasn't a big Adams Family fan, either the original or the reboot, but I've always liked that uh, portion of that whatever reboot it was in the late 90s, I guess. Couldn't find anything else. That's a recycled one. I've used it before, for sure. This is older... Uh, 
Taylor Swift. This is with the dude from lead singer from Panic at the Disco, which I didn't know they did the duet on, but Panic at the Disco is okay. Very millennial and Gen Z-ish, but it works good with them. Another just ridiculously uh, catchy riff, chorus, bridge, the whole thing, every time. Home run every time. The, a lot of times the lyrics are not very deep. Certainly, certainly not on this song. It's not very sophisticated sometimes, but it doesn't need to be because the the hooks are just so good and. There's two different kinds of approaches to songwriting. I'm gonna just spend a minute or two on this. Not long. Uh, approaches to songwriting. There's like Tom Petty, who sometimes wrote really, really deep and very, very touching lyrics, and sometimes a little, you know, kind of simple story, like Into the Great Wide Open. There's nothing uh, amazing about that story within the song, but how the song was created along with the video and everything else was absolutely brilliant. But the words didn't mean a whole lot. And then sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. Uh, get get to the point, roll another joint. Okay, fine. But the he basically took the same 15 different hooks and chord progressions and riffs and just turned them in to melodic uh, masterpieces, album after album after album. And there's uh, I'm just using ones that I'm most familiar with. And then you got a guy like Eddie Vedder, of course, who's my lord and savior. Just kidding, not kidding. Uh, who writes some of the most deep, meaningful poetry, you know, since Jim Morrison and uh, and and other contemporaries like that. I don't know. I guess he's not a contemporary, but from a poetry standpoint, is what I'm saying. And the deepest, meaningful lyrical content mixed in with riffs and melodies and bridges that are all over the damn place and they don't flow well together and they're not catchy after a, a, a quick they're not they're not earworms many of them the early stuff kind of was but i'm talking over a 20-year career but he's never written a song that didn't have some kind of pretty deep meaning so one's not better than the other necessarily. I guess the only way you could quantify is by look at sales and then just have a, an argument with a, a music snob if you want. But what Taylor Swift is doing is a combination of both those things. She's sometimes having some deeper meaning in, into the, the lyrical content. Not all, often, but sometimes. It's just amazing and beautiful to listen to. I, I would never go to a show because I'm not going to deal with how much it costs and the mania that it is. One of the things I was going to talk about, I guess you surely know by now, the Ticketmaster disaster of trying to get the portals and the queues open online so people could buy tickets, sitting there for hours and hours and hours. It was like a, a national meltdown for a certain age group uh, the last couple of days. And the prices, I believe, were doing the same thing that that uh, that dumb band uh, that I was talking about the other week. Why am I blanking on the Blink 182, their reunion tour and how the premium pricing was coming in there? I think some of that was going on with the Taylor Swift thing as well. But I am not a hater at all. I think she is. Uh, I think she is fabulous. The little that I know. 
All right. So Thanksgiving is this week and or well, it's a week from right now. And I'm going to take a little bit of a breather and then I'm going to do three shows in December. The first three Thursdays in December. And then uh, I'm going to take the end of the year off and got some ideas for next year. But I always have some ideas for next year and more on that at another time. But I really do like Thanksgiving. It is the savior of an otherwise just terrible time. Uh, for me, as far as if I'm ranking my years, I, my worst memories are in, in the fall and winter of my adult and, and young adulthood from relationships that generally seem to end at this time of year, uh, sadness of, of holiday kind of stuff, whether I really realize it or not, just that emotional feelings you get at holidays sometimes because, because everybody's, it's supposed to be such a wonderful time, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. No, it's not asshole. It sucks. You know, that kind of thing. So I have a lot of bad memories. It's not PTSD or anything, but many times it's been a bummer. And I don't celebrate anything going on this year in any kind of religious, spiritual way. So I don't have that kind of thing to fall back on that some people might have. And good for anybody who who is able to do that. Um, don't care anything about Halloween. And it's not that I don't like Christmas. It's just at the worst time of the year. It's, it's in December. It's freaking cold. The year's over. This year sucks. It's over. I'm done. I'm done. I, I go to a Christmas party every year. That's fun. You know, I, I pick, I have a couple days during that time frame that I do somewhat enjoy, but it's not for any reason that, you know, Hallmark has anything to do with. But Thanksgiving, I really do appreciate and I really do like. And it is partly traditional. I like the fact that it's the long weekend, which I almost never get, and I don't have this year either. But uh, I, I like that. I like that it it used to be the kickoff of Christmas season, and with the not from the ideological sense of Christmas season. I mean, just from the traditions of my sister and my father used to do it for 10, 12 years in a row get up at four o'clock in the morning and go to warehouse row or go to the mall or go wherever. And that is a family tradition that many people have now, clearly for all the reasons I don't need to explain that has fallen off. Now it's not gone completely. It's kind of the demographics have shifted a little, but it's not gone completely, but it is, it has shifted a lot. I just, I don't know. I, I like the weekend football games, the final weekend of college football generally is that weekend. It's Georgia, uh, Georgia Tech. It's Alabama, Auburn many years. I don't know if that lines up this year or not. I haven't looked at the schedule, but oftentimes it would. I love, it was once upon a time, just the two NFL games, even though I don't hardly watch them. Now the third, football all day. Great food. Here's The trend on socials here recently is to say that Thanksgiving food sucks. That's been the trend. Again, a lot of people can't think for themselves, so I don't know if they actually mean this or not. And I'm I'm seeing this, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Thanksgiving food is fantastic, especially if you have somebody who even kind of knows what they're doing, which in the past I didn't, but I was usually around people who did. Now I do know um, how to do it, or at least I have a better idea. One of the kind of takes was, as I just paraphrase it was, well, this food's so good, meaning just overall traditional Thanksgiving, why do we only eat it one time a year? Well, because it's some of the highest caloric, (laughs) sodium, uh, sugary, uh, fat-induced foods ever created, all served at the exact same time 
over and over. Why would we do that all year, every year? Green bean casserole, pumpkin pie, uh, heavily buttered and salted mashed potatoes, uh, broccoli cheese, turkey. You know, you, I'm not telling you you know right now. <laughs> There's a reason why we don't eat all this this stuff all the time because it takes hours to make. Only half the people in the room are even appreciative of it. And it's tradition and it's fun and I like it. I really do. And this year we're going to my brothers in Nashville with the idea that we're not going to do almost anything traditional from a food standpoint, which at first I was a little bit bummed out about because, as I mentioned, I love the stuff and I couldn't wait for it. Turkey and gravy and mashed potato. Oh, my God. Ham, maybe even a you know honey-baked ham. Oh, God, I love it. But the good news is, is my brother's uh, wife, so I guess she's my sister-in-law. I never use the in-law names right with anybody in my family, but um, she is one of the greatest cooks I have ever, ever come in contact with. And I'm up there all the time for Titans, and she cooks. She loves to cook. Oh, my God, it's to die for. So it does not matter what it is. It is going to be fabulous, and we're all going there instead. And that is, I love that big mix-up. My mom was even, like, almost apologetic about it. It's like, Mom, you don't need to do this. You've been, you've been doing these Thanksgivings for how long now? Like, in this setting, my, you know, I'm 42. Come on. Take a break. Take the year off. Let's do something different. I'm very, very excited about it. But also that comes with that, I look around, as I'll just do a few minutes on this and wrap the show up, why is it so seemingly more every year people complaining, again, using the social media, I just spent a whole segment on talking about trying to not be on anymore, complaining about Christmas coming earlier all the time. And is it really coming earlier? I, I think it is, but it, it, what does it matter? Why, why, for people who claim to love this holiday and the most wonderful time of the year so much, why are you upset with it starting a little earlier? And if it's something that means a lot to you from a spiritual standpoint, and again, until I read a lot of this, I didn't, I didn't think of it maybe properly. But I thought if this is so important, why not spend more time? If this this date of this supposed birth, you know, that we're celebrating as the savior of the world, why would it not be okay to to do more of it longer? I, 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 the, the argument to make a baseball game shorter. I've never been quite a complete understand understanding of that idea. I love a baseball game. I've never watched one and thought, damn, I wish it would end quicker. Never been to a concert that I was like, man, it would be a lot better if this show would end before it actually is scheduled to. What if something you like, why wouldn't you want it to stretch out longer? And after reading a few things, I understand it just a little bit more. And I'm only going to do a few pieces of this because it gets way too deep. It's a writer that uses way too many words, but it brings it's a, a psychology angle to this, which I found it to be very interesting. I'm just not going to read it all to you because I would fumble all the way through it and read to you radio is can get boring unless you only do it in small doses. Why is early Christmas so annoying? Writing about Christmas getting earlier every year gets earlier Every year. Overall, it wouldn't seem to be too much of a stretch to say that early Christmas is considered to be a source of annoyance. But what are the reasons for this? 
Annoyance is relatively poorly researched in psychology compared to emotions such as happiness, anger, or disgust. As in often the case in psychology, there isn't even a clear consensus as to what annoyance actually it is. And so it goes on to go back and forth with a couple of different examples of stress versus annoyance and how they're measured and the differences. In terms of early Christmas, stress and annoyance could be related to uncertainty as to when holiday demands will start and finish and whether those demands can be met. While the stress of Christmas is undoubtedly a real phenomenon and we could see how a prolonged state of Christmas could increase this stress, intuitively, this emotion, emotional response seems much different to annoyance. So never quite thought about that. I haven't had a family to provide for. I haven't had kids I have to make sure I have money for to get the gifts for them and make sure they have that uh, those those great memories of, of having Christmas. Stress, yes, okay, that's different. I understand that. And I could see that when, when you see more and more Christmas bombarded at you before Halloween is even you know over with and you're trying not to think about about the stresses of trying to make Christmas great for you and everybody involved, I guess I get that. I do get that. But what I often see too, it feels like from a just a hundred thousand feet in the air, a, you know, aerial view of social media, it seems like it's more of an annoyance. Not I'm stressed about what I'm going to do about my children at Christmas. I'm just mad. I want to be annoyed about something, which are very much too. Completely different things. It goes on to bounce around all over the place. It's like a three-page thing. In summary, it would seem that psychologically, early Christmas can be classified as an intrusive behavior and as an example of rule-breaking. People experience this as an unpleasant collection of environmental stimuli that they weren't predicting to occur yet and don't know how long it'll last. Uh, on a much less technical terms here, this is something else I popped into just real quick. I'm going to read a few of these and then be done with it. Walmart started its year-end holiday sales on October 1st. Target offered its earliest access ever to holiday deals on uh, October 6th. Amazon started early with their two-day period of deals from October 11th and 12th for Prime members only. Walmart, Target, and Amazon are participating in what consumer behavior experts call quote-unquote, the Christmas creep. In 2021, the ho holiday sales jumped 14.1% to a record $887 billion. Is the Christmas creep happening earlier and earlier each year? They go back and forth to say it looks like the answer is, is, is yes. This is a quote from one of these study people. Retailers will... Be motivated as ever to incite consumer spending this year, given inflation. People who have been under tight budgets the whole year may feel justified in splurging during this time of the year, especially if the holiday discounts are significant. This is from Janelle Pfeiffer, Ph.D. from the University of Richmond. The creep of the holidays can trigger feelings of inadequacy for some. People may wonder, am I behind the curve on preparing for the holidays? What if... I can't afford the trappings of the holiday that is being presented. Am I letting myself or my family down in some way? And it goes on to give a bunch of reasons. A lot of this just gets cliche, corny stuff 
of of how you can uh, deal with this, how you can better prepare yourself emotionally and uh, and otherwise. And the only one here that I thought was very real and worth saying out loud on a podcast like this where most people barely care what I'm talking about right now is limit your social media. goes all the way back to the theme of this entire show today. Ads, influencers, and old friends who seem to somehow enjoy the Christmas creep can exacerbate stress. Avoid FOMO by keeping social media in perspective and potentially taking a temporary break. Same uh, uh, doctor I was talking about from the University of Richmond on that other page from Pfeiffer says, notice when you feel influenced, do something because you are attempting to capture a fantasy projected on someone's Instagram or TikTok. And some of the most rational, reasonable, seemingly normal, respectable people that I know and you know get trapped into this mess through social media, especially Instagram. I know people, I won't give any of their names, that literally will get a new car because their neighbors did. The old up with the Joneses syndrome. I know so many of these, and it doesn't stop at something like just a car, how the house looks, what the kids get. This isn't new news to anybody, I understand. But that's real. And separating yourself from that and taking a break and thinking about the things the second 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 segment of this segment covered, of this show I should say covered, will really settle you down. Now luckily, I don't know about any of that crap is. I don't even I don't know I don't know my neighbors. I don't know if their names are Joneses or not, but I ain't trying to keep up with them. And if I was, we'd be on a contest to see how much wood rot we have on the back deck. <laughs> That's about where the competition goes out here in East Ridge. All right. I am just a little over an hour, it would appear, based on my math in my head. So I'm going to get out now. Happy Thanksgiving. Love you. Mean it. We'll do a, uh, three shows into December, and then we'll call this year 2022 over and throw the damn thing in the trash can and hope for better, even though we all know good and damn well it won't be better in 2023, or at least it'll still be about the same. And, yep, you ain't seen nothing yet. See you later. Bye. Promise that you'll never find another like me.